John chapter 2. I'm going to be reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. You see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Let's pray. Father, I ask for the working of this text, even right now, in us. That You would, through this passage and through the words I speak, placard Your Son before us. that we may behold Him, see Him, causing our hope in that future day to drive us in the present. That You would be purifying us, sanctifying us, growing us to the glory of His holy name. Amen. As you're looking at verse 28, and I read it again slowly, I want you to notice that John's command to churchgoers is future-oriented. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when... Here it is. Here's the command. Abide, remain in Him. Here's the future. So that in the future, when Jesus comes back, that's what He means by when He appears, then, because of what's going on now, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Now, why does John say this? It must mean that John does not think that every church-going person will experience that day as confidence. It must mean, he thinks, some will experience Jesus' second coming in shame because 
They're not abiding, remaining in Christ. Now, according to the next verse, he's not done. Abiding in Christ, which has everything to do with the second coming, according to verse 29, that abiding includes practicing righteousness. It, it, it includes living right, doing right. You see it? If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. John knows. Let's turn around. Don't worry about her. John knows that there will be professing Christians who will shrink back in shame at His second he knows Jesus' words as Matthew recorded them in his seventh chapter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus goes on. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice evil doing. John doesn't want this to happen to his readers. He doesn't want us to shrink from Jesus at his second coming. He wants us to be filled with confidence and joy on that day. And that's why he commands abide, remain in Jesus. See, John's the one who recorded for us in his Gospel in chapter 15. He was there when Jesus spoke the words, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Because apart from Me, you can do nothing. John is saying, Abide. Be so personally attached to Jesus in your daily walk that you are thus practicing righteousness. Attach yourself and remain in the vine. See, this passage this morning, it is about character. It's about Christ likeness. That's His focus to His readers and to us. Glance forward just for a second. You might not even have to turn the page to chapter 4, verse 17. By this is love perfected with us 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There it is again. You see it? Future. He's thinking about Jesus' second coming and He's thinking about our confidence when He comes. Because as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. So there's something about being conformed to Christ's likeness. Or as he says, practicing righteousness or abiding in Him that has to do with how you will respond when Jesus comes back. But I just keep your Bible open here, okay? Because we now, having said that, we've got to be very careful to not misread what John has said. Notice that this practicing righteousness, living in righteousness, is not the reason for our salvation. It's not the cause of a person being saved. It's not the, you did this, therefore you get this prize of sheer joy when Jesus comes back. That's not what he says. If you read it carefully, you'll notice that a believer's practicing righteousness is not the cause, but it is the evidence that they are attached to the vine. It's the evidence of abiding in Him. It's the evidence that He has saved us. The foundation of our hope, of our confidence on that day, is not practicing righteousness. Our foundation is what God has done for us. Let's read it again slowly. It's right there in verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, okay, do you know that, believer, that Jesus is perfectly righteous? then you know, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, somehow this righteousness that has to do with Jesus' righteousness, not merely acts, but practices righteousness, has been born of Him. So, if this is true of His hearers, that they are practicing righteousness, that they're abiding in Him as Jesus is righteous, it's because they have been born of Him. That's the logic. Abiding in Jesus, practicing righteousness is the result of being born of God. Salvation and its fruits, abiding in the vine that grow from that tree, like a life change, walking down a different path. Abide in Him. Walk in Him. Salvation and its fruits is God's ultimate doing. That's His point. It proves you've been born of Him. 
in the original, it's a perfect tense verb. It means, don't you see why you're doing that? Because something in the past happened, and then it didn't just happen, that's it. It's an ongoing effect through your life up to the very present, and you're continuing in it. That's the perfect tense. You have been born of God. That's why you're practicing righteousness. Now, he's not done, so look at your Bible. Just in your mind, erase that big three. The numeral three. John doesn't write chapters in verses. Okay, he's in the middle of a thought. He's going to continue on. He's going to unfold what he just said. You've been born of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Do you see it? The fact that those who are true Christians are learning to abide relationally in Jesus and to do what is right. They're living differently. The, 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 the reality that that is an evidence, it's an evidence of something the Father did. He calls it in verse 29, being born of God. And then in the very next sentence, he explains what he means. That is, the Father's special love for you, believer. If you are so fortunate to have seen the beauty of the Gospel, of Jesus and you are abiding in Him He says do you see this great love that the Father has towards you who have been born of Him He calls you His child passage raises the question what is it that takes place when we're born of God what is it that takes place when we're born again the logic of the passage is that we have confidence that we are saved we will have confidence in Jesus' second coming because we are abiding in in Jesus now. Because we are those who are practicing righteousness. But, why are we doing that? And the answer is, in the text, because we have been born of God. And that is the Father's love that He has given to us to call us His children. That's the logic of the text. So then the question, what is that? What has happened to us sinners who are born of God? 
Just drop down to verse 13. I mean, excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 3 for a moment. And listen to what John says there. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For, or because, why is that, John? Why is it that we are not those who are practicing sinning, but we are practicing righteousness? For, or because, God's seed abides in Him, and He cannot keep on sinning, because He has been born of God. So when new birth takes place, it's as if God plants a seed at the very core of that person's being. A new nature. That's how Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. If you have a backyard where there's nothing but dirt, no shrubs, no bushes, no trees, nothing, you can go out every day looking for avocado. And there are not going to be any. At least it grew there. You can fake it and peak church people do it. Oh, give me a list. Okay, look at me. I'm doing better. So, so am, I, am I okay with God? No. It doesn't count when you go to the store and you buy avocados and you place them on the dirt in the backyard. The only thing that counts is that if you plant an avocado seed and you water it with a word, I mean with water, and then the tree will grow. And as the tree grows, you eventually will have avocado fruit in your backyard. That's what John just said here. God has done something in new birth. He has implanted within you a new nature calls it this seed. And that seed that is sown grows and it matures. But even though that's true, there's still an old sin nature. And so, what's happening then in Christians? There's a seed that's been planted, but they're still sinful. But, 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 but the seed says there's something new there and therefore there's something that is altered in their way of living, in their pathway. And what John says here in verse 9 of chapter 3, they do not, they cannot go on practicing sin. Why? Because they're born of God. He didn't say they can't sin. And look, I'm not going to take the time, but I can show you from this short letter, John has already been crystal clear. If you ever say that there is perfection in the Christian life down here, you are absolutely wrong. It won't happen. But he says you can't continue to practice sin. Why? Because faith has come. Repentance is come. It constantly is stopping even when you sin and bringing you back again and again to repentance. And that's different than the way you were before you came to Jesus, before the seed was planted within 
you. That's the point of chapter 3, verse 9. New birth, the seed implanted, brings a fundamental transformation at the core of our being. And that is why those to whom that has happened, they don't belong to this world anymore. And, and there's a sense because of the way they now are living, they're oddballs in this world. And that's what John goes on to tell us in our passage in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And so to be born of God means that a new dimension has entered into that sinning person. It has altered their being at the core of their desires. Now they see with the eyes of their heart. Now they have a desire to love the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now they have a desire, even against other desires within them, they have a desire to practice righteousness. It's as if the seed has produced this ongoing dissatisfaction with the remaining sin nature. It gives into it, but the overall picture is that it's just down there bubbling up. Oh, I hate that. How long, O oh Lord, must we deal with this? That's what a Christian is. So just to say very clear, and you've got to listen to the words I'm going to say. A contented, sinning Christian. Contented is the important word there. A contented, sinning Christian is a contradiction in terms. Yes, when believers are born again and they come to Jesus, sinful desires are always there. They're always present. And there may even be periods of time where a true believer will so sear a part of their life and their mind and their conscience that they will feel contented in continuing in the sin. But... A sermon happens. But a loving believer gets into their face. Down the road, God's sovereign providence brings some circumstances and they are jerked back with their conscience to hear again the Word of God and to repent, and they go on now, abiding in Jesus, and they're, they're more resolved to walk in Him and pursue Him than they were before. See, new birth happening to sinners in this present evil world is only the beginning. It's a seed. It's not a full-blown tree. 
growing into a tree and fruit is happening in it. But it's not the consummation of what is to be. Transformation that starts at new birth is always there or it's not new birth, but it's only in its beginning stages. But there is a day coming when our transformation that has only begun will be completed. It will be perfected. Look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children right now. Believe it or not, you messed up sinner who has been born of God are God's children now. And what we in the future will be has not yet happened or appeared. But we know, we know a promise that when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. So He says right now, those who have been born again are children of God. They have an intimate relationship with the Creator, with the Judge of the universe, but their relationship with Him is my Father through Jesus Christ. John's point now in the text there in verse 2 is to say, as amazing as it is that you've come alive to Jesus, as amazing as it is that the God who created you and you deserve wrath has made you His child, as glorious as some of the experiences in this life with that are, you have not seen anything. It's only the tip of the iceberg of what is in store in the future. That's what he means. What we shall be does not yet appear. Exactly everything that that future will include about our being sons and daughters of God is still unclear in many, many areas. But verse 2 does continue with the most staggering promise imaginable. But we know this. We know this. That when Jesus who died and rose then ascended to heaven. He's going to come back. And when that happens, we know this. We, who have been born of God, shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. That is our destiny as children of God through Jesus Christ. We now, in this world, 
only sense, only taste, only see a little bit of Christ-likeness in our lives. And let me just say, be very clear. If it were possible to do this, okay, so, so. the most mature, sanctified, practicing righteousness, worshipful Christian on planet Earth today, whoever that person may be at this moment, is constantly riddled with sinful temptations. We, as children of God, in our mortality in this present evil world, the way Paul calls it, we have so much junk that is still left to be dealt with. But the stunning promise of this verse is that a day is coming. A day is coming when we shall be forever and absolutely changed. John's words. We will be like Him. We won't become Him. We will forever be derivative creatures Jesus will forever be the eternal one who became truly human. He will always be the incarnate God. But insofar as it is possible for us merely human beings to be like Him, we will be just like that man right now, Jesus resurrected from the dead. We will also be raised from the dead like He was raised from the dead. We will put on immortality. We will have a glorified human body just like Jesus forever will. What He loves, we will love. He has never sinned and He never will sin. Oh, have we sinned. But we will get to that place on that day where we will never sin again like Him. He will never experience pain again. And then, neither will we. He experiences joy to its full. And so will we. He delights in the Father with maximum intensity in His true humanity. And so will we. For those who have come alive by the Holy Spirit in new birth, there is nothing more desirable than that future reality. That, oh, there, there are competing temptations that constantly say, no, you desire something more. But there's a seed in you. There's a seed in you that says, that's the goal. That's the end of the search. That day to be made like Him. But that process 
has begun if you have been born again. And you are in process now to being conformed to the image of Christ in this life. Now what I want you to do, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8 for a moment because Paul makes the same point as John is making in our text. Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, Stop for a minute. It's a very familiar verse. But, ask the question. What good? Okay, if God is so sovereign and complete control of His children, those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, that He is causing all things to work together for their good, what is the good that He is working toward. You don't need to guess. Just continue to read. For, meaning, He's not done. God works all these things. He's working for your good because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of of His Son. That's the good. The good that God is working all these terrible things and glorious things together for good is our conformity to the likeness of Jesus. That's what our Father is aiming at in our life. Not your health. It's not His goal. Not your wealth. It's not His goal. Not all the earthly success you can have. That's not His goal. His goal is our Christ's likeness. If you love God, according to the text, and thus you are called according to His purpose, then everything that has come and will come, God is using, God is molding for your ultimate good, which is conforming you little by little down here into the image of His Son. And you know how Paul finishes it there, right? And whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He, he did something. The gospel came to you. And he called you to saving faith. And you believe. And therefore he says, those whom he called, he also justified. Forgave all your sins. And, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, that's not happened yet. 
That, that's still future. That's the second coming. That's the resurrection when it will be consummated into being just like His Son. Then, He's saying the same thing. But now here's the question. What is it? What is it, therefore, in believers' lives that brings this transformation throughout our lives? Before that one day when we see Him, what is going on in Christians' lives? Now, I think John really gives us a hint by taking us to the end and saying, this is how that's going to happen then. And then we'll come back to why that's happening now in part. Look at verse 2, the last part of it. Let's read the whole thing and you hear his very last line of verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Why? John says why. Because we shall see Him as He is. None of us see Him that way yet. All of our seeing is through a glass, darkly, the way the King James put it. Everything with our sin nature and our flesh is still blurry. We get glimpses. We see truth. And it was enough for the Spirit to grab us and put us in His Son and secure us forever as a down payment for that day. That's true. But He says... You know what's going to cause you to be just like that man, Jesus? You will see Him. You will see Him for who He really is. And you will see Him unambiguously. You will have eyes that now have been freed of your sinfulness. And thus, what is there before us will be seen perfectly clearly. And thus we will be absolutely transformed into His likeness once and for all, forever. That's the cause in the end time of our being transformed into His likeness. He says this sight of Jesus at His second coming for believers is so real, it'll be so stunning and be utterly irresistible that we will instantaneously be like Him. That's the text. Okay, that's then. Does that have anything to do with what's going on now? It has everything to do with what should be happening in your life right now. This seeing Jesus, this beholding Jesus in His second coming will be 
But you remember the analogy, I think it was last week, like an irresistible magnet to that, maybe mess with the analogy, to that metal seed that God planted in you. The new nature that He planted in us will see Him and everything's going to be happening at once. What's coming for? I don't know. But there's the resurrection and some sin is gone. We see Him and we are conformed because we behold Him as He truly is. We will not be able to resist. We will be to Him. We won't be able to resist because we will not want to any. Glad you, some of you like that. Okay, now watch. Back to our text. That there is the future. That's going to happen, John says one day. Now, here's the kicker. John uses that future reality in our text to impact our present us daily now in life struggles. Verse 3. Chapter 3. And everyone who thus hopes in verse 2 that future will see Him and we will be just like Him. Everyone who that way hopes for that. We read it again. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself now as He is pure. Can you see it yet? That's what John means a couple sentences before when he says abiding in Christ. That is abiding in Him. That's what John means when he says, oh, those who are born of God are those who are practicing righteousness. He means something is happening on the inside that is purifying. That has to do with hope. You can't see hope, but you know whether you have it or not. You can't see desire, you only see the results of the desires. And he says, when this desire, this hope is happening, you will see the results in actions called practicing righteousness. He says, if we hope to be like Jesus someday, then we will seek to be like Him now. John is describing who real Christians are. The transformation which will be completed and perfected when Jesus returns is in progress 
in every person who will be transformed and saved in Jesus. And the main way that it happens now is not by keeping a list of rules. It's not by don't do this and don't do that. Be a good Christian person. That's not how this is happening. The way this happens is by being constantly bowled over by what you see of Jesus. It is, to put it in the words of Paul, beholding Him. And that is what changes a Christian ongoing. One more text. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn there. Because what John is saying here, he says, but where it is most clearly said in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Listen to the word of the Lord. And yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, okay, if you don't know, that's the first five books of the Bible. So he's talking about reading Bible. And yes, whenever Moses is read, a veil, a dark veil lies over their hearts. Okay, he's talking about his fellow Jews in the context. And Paul was one before he came to Christ. Oh, he could argue you under the table. And he, he could do exegesis of text of Scripture. Uh, oh my goodness. But he says, though we saw, we didn't see. A veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I can see. I can see. Watch, watch this. And he said, now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, here's his description of the Christian life. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Where? Scripture. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Abide in Him. That's what abiding in Him is. The truth of God's self-revelation through the prophets and the apostles. 
through the Holy Scripture. The truth there in the Bible, in print, where God has revealed Himself, is the window of seeing, beholding the glory of God in Christ. That is transforming those who are born of God day by day. It's a work of the Spirit. See, he said, from the Lord. It's from the Lord who is the Spirit. You need the veil uplifted. That's new birth. When new birth happens, he pulls the veil back. Your heart is changed. You read words that were always there. doesn't change the meaning. But now you gravitate toward them and you see like you never saw before. I never knew. It could taste so good. I never knew it could be such a delight to my eyes. In the future, John says, all of that will happen in a moment. It happens now, though, progressively during our earthly lives. It starts from that which is outside of us. The Scripture. That's where it starts. The Bible existed long before you were conceived in your mother's womb. It's outside of you. And it comes at you by your reading it or someone reading it to you. Or you hearing it unfolded through preaching and teaching. But the Word of the Lord outside of you must get in to you is the process in order to behold His glory. To be changed into His image one small degree at a time. And we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So first you've got to understand it's from the outside of you. Your quiet time. Your Attentively reading the Bible. See, what does it mean? Let me okay, let me go back again and follow the train of thought. Those moments in time in your daily life prayerfully are crucial. Hearing biblical exposition of scripture is crucial to being conformed to the image of Jesus. Where we place our minds, our hearts, is it in the culture? Is it in TV? Is it in so much that just, you, you will become that which you are beholding? Or is it more and more of Christ? Okay, that's from the outside. Oh, but it doesn't, if you, if you can do all that and have a veil lying over you. Let me just, you know what Paul goes on to say there for a minute in chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. I just, you gotta, you gotta watch it. Every one of us experiences this to one degree or another, even if we're actually born again. And that's what should cause us to be desperate to pray. Saying, Do I have a veil over my heart? Why am I so bored with Bible? Why am I bored with prayer? Why am I bored hanging with you? Why am I bored with exposition of Scripture? God, I'm yours. I'm yours, right? Let's see evidence, Father. Do this to me. Verses 3 and 4. Chapter 4. 
2 Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the opposite is the process in those who are born of God. The veil is lifted. That's why he says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because something along with the Scripture, with hearing, must be happening on the inside. And that's the work of the Spirit. So that you see what you are desperate to see on a daily basis. And that thing is conforming us to the image of Jesus. And so let me just close saying, dear believer who has been born of God, which means who has been plucked out of darkness and indwelt by God the Spirit Himself, who has put His seed within you. There's a reason that the world doesn't know you. Because the world in darkness doesn't know, has never seen Jesus as you have seen Him. You will be made just like Him in the resurrection, believer. And that process has begun. You have been born of God. That's what he says. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. For everyone who's been born of God, those who will be like Him at His second coming, don't take these words lightly. It is those who are in the process of being conformed to His image, one degree of glory to the next, now, by seeing Him in Scripture. It is those, because of seeing, who live repentant lives, Desperate lives are so aware of their sin because the Bible comes and it's burning it out and their life is, what a gospel, what a gospel, what grace, what mercy. That's why they don't practice sinning, but they practice righteousness. That is the pathway that those who are born of God are walking. So as I close, let's hear the Word of the Lord to you. And now, little children, remain in Jesus so that when He comes back again, we may have confidence and not shrink 
from Him in shame at His coming. Don't you guys get it? If you know that Jesus is righteous, then you could be absolutely sure that everyone who practices righteousness, righteousness has been born of Him. You see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us because it didn't know God Himself in His incarnation. Beloved, we are God's children. Right? Now. And what we will be in the future has not yet appeared. Oh, it is not here yet. Oh, we long for it. But we do know this, that when He appears... We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He actually is. And every one of you who thus hopes that way in Him is purifying himself or herself just as Jesus is pure. Father, I pray that you would make each, every one of us more earnest daily to see, to behold, to want to know more the depths and the contours of the glory of your Son where you revealed him in Holy Scripture. Oh, but we don't just want our minds to understand words. We want the work of Your Spirit upon our hearts, causing us to revel and to be wowed by, to be overcome, and to be filled with joy by the glories of Jesus and by the hope that is laid before us. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come.